the Lord who works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so again, we see that compassion and justice go hand in hand, that God uh, wants to see things to be just and to be right, and yet he is compassionate. And the great thing about that for us is that at times we want justice. We want justice for the brokenness that's in the world or things that are done to us, but we also want compassion because we are not perfect and we do things that are wrong. We want compassion for ourselves, but justice for other people. Uh, and the same is true of everybody else. And so we need a God who is going to, to be fully righteous, but is patient and long-suffering with his people who doesn't um, punish us too quickly. And so God is reconciling the world to himself and mercy triumphs over justice. So Alan had, had just mentioned these few things. I don't have time to go into them today. But what I want to talk about um, now is the election. Everybody excited for the election? Yes, yes because yet another election, yet another chance to... Um, work with what we call democracy and to exercise your vote. And what happens about this time is that um, all the main parties come up with, with their mandates and they, they have their uh, party political broadcasts and they have their interviews and they say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they tell you all these things that they didn't do the last time um, that they're going to actually do them this time and then they make up new stuff. You know, so we're all getting free broadband if Labour get in. Yay, free broadband, and it's going to cost 20 billion. No, no, it's not. It's going to cost 40 billion. Um, and, and so we're going to have loads and loads of tax cuts, and we're going to have loads and loads of spending on public services, and then we go, well, can we have both of those at the same time? But it's election time, and all these promises are going to be made. And, and a mandate is what a party lays out to say to you, this is what we're going to do. Come and vote for us. And if, you, if we get in, we'll fulfill our mandate. And the problem with that is it doesn't really happen that way. Sure, it doesn't. There are lots of different reasons why. But what I want to say to you is this, is that when Jesus started his public ministry, he also had a mandate. His mandate was what he wanted to do, what he declared publicly that he would do and what he has been doing, and what he will continue to do. And we find it in Luke 4, it's just after Jesus was tempted in the desert, and he went to Nazareth, so his hometown, his home village, and again, the politicians do that, they go back to their hometown, to their home village, and, and uh, they, they tell people what it is they're going to do. Um, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, uh, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus declared that the spirit of God himself was upon him and that he had been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. 
And what is good news to the poor? You know what good news to the poor is? Food. Isn't it? If you said, I've got good news for you poor people, it's got all going to be all right in heaven. Like, that's great. But we're alive now. And it's both. It's both claim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. These are not all just metaphors. They're actual things that need to happen when Jesus comes along. And then when we look, um, the people are amazed. They're like, this guy is amazing. You know, he's great. And then they're like, well, hang on. Is he not just that carpenter's son? And, and like, who's he to tell us what to do? And so by the end of this, they're all really excited and amazed at him. And then, you know, a wee while later, they're trying to throw him off a cliff. Um, and that's kind of the way society is, isn't it? People think you're great one moment, the next moment they're trying to throw you off a cliff. Um, and Jesus came and he lived amongst people and he lived out justice and he lived out compassion from his mandate. We see that he healed the sick physically and spiritually. He gave hope to those that were hopeless. He performed miracles in lots of different ways. He fed the poor. He championed the cause of the widow and the orphan. He spoke out against injustice. He got down in the, in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery. Stood between her and her accusers until they left. He invited the little children to come and sit on his knee. The people that were devalued within that society at the time he stood up for. Because within his being was justice and compassion. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, you know, this is a justice and compassion day, guys. So we're going to go out and we're going to be nice to people today. And we're going to get t-shirts. Uh, and we're going to go and do this thing. He didn't need to do that. It was within him that when he saw injustice, he, he did something about it. He spoke up. When there was something wrong in the world, he fixed it. And so what happens then is that, that when Jesus dies and he, and he rose again and he sets his people on the same mission that he was involved in to go uh, and tell the good news. And the good news looks like good news for the poor and for the oppressed. It looks like the good news of salvation, what Jesus did at the cross. But holistically, it looks like very practical things as well. And in the context of the Roman world, whilst the Romans seemed very civilized in lots of different ways, we still get to walk on some of their roads to this day. They had some great buildings and some good culture. They were barbaric towards the weak within their society. If you were weak or if you were sick or if you were inconvenient to them, you didn't survive. And that completely changed when Christians came along because carrying the mandate of Jesus, they made a difference in the world that, and they looked after the poor and they looked after the weak. And when people were sick, rather than running away so that they wouldn't catch the illness too, they stayed with them. And throughout history, we see the work of the church is to bring the good news of Jesus in word, but also in deed. And that's what um, justice and compassion starts to look like. And so we see that throughout history. And in our modern society, uh, we see a number of different things that, that most of our hospitals and most of our schools were started by the church, that our National Health Service finds its foundations in the church, that many orphanages were started by the church, that the trade union movement, which campaigns for workers' rights, that, that claims that people deserve to be treated with dignity and have a day off and, and stuff like that, was started because of the Methodist revival. 
That's where it came from. And the church has a part to play as we carry the message of Jesus and as we live from his mandate, we look at the world around us and we campaign for justice. And we do that with a heart of compassion. Um, and what's really fascinating is that the atheists have worked this out too. They've kind of gone, you know what, we've, we've deconstructed everything until there's nothing left. But actually, those Christians had some stuff that was actually right. And um, uh, quite a, a famous guy called Alan de Botton, who wrote a brilliant book about 15 years ago called Status Anxiety. And um, if you want, you want to read it, it's going to help you to work out what's wrong with a lot of our modern world and consumerism. But he also wrote a book called um, Religion for Atheists. Because he said, look, if we throw all this stuff out, we're going to miss all the good stuff that those Christians have. They might have got that whole God thing wrong, but all the rest, a lot of the other stuff that they did was quite good. Care for the poor and, and for the weak. The, the structures that they put in place to look after and their concern for other people. Morality and values and these intrinsic things within our culture and our society. If we were to go and try and pull out the threads of Christianity from from our modern society, like you would from pulling out a thread from a rug, you would find that it, everything would just start to unravel. Because things like justice and compassion find their place in the heart of God. And we read this in the Old Testament as well. This is from uh, Micah 6, verse 8, uh, and it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown you. God is our reference point. You want to figure out what way we should go in the world? What's right and what's wrong? Where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? How do I behave in this world? God has shown us mortal beings. Remember, you don't have it all together. And so we go to God and we look at the heart of Jesus. We look at the compassion that he showed and we go, my standard is not just being a little bit nicer than the people around me. My standard is Jesus. And if I'm going to, to walk in life in the right way, no less than him as the model is, is where I want to go. And so God becomes the place where we go to to find out how to operate in this world because he knows what's good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? This isn't just for super Christians or for those one or two random people who get really worked up about injustice and, and have a cause that they go on about. And we all go, yay, that's great, here's some money. Um, you go and do your wee thing and we all just get on with what we do. What does God require of you? This is individual and corporate responsibility for justice and compassion, that we would act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. We have to act justly. You can't be into justice and be passive. You can't be into justice and just hammer some stuff into your keyboard and put it on social media. That's not what being into justice looks like, giving off about the same things that everybody else is giving off or giving off in response to the things that other people are giving off because you don't agree with them. That's not what justice looks like. Justice has to look like something. And if we're going to be modeled after Jesus, it looks, needs to look like a sacrificial 
kind of something. It probably needs to cost you something for the benefit of someone else. You know, and, and James wrote about this in his letter when he said, your faith without deeds is dead. Where is it? Where is it? If it's just in your head, if it's not impacting other people, if the lives of people around you are not being changed and transformed, where is your faith? So we need to act justly. We need to ask ourselves some questions about what we're doing and how we operate in this world. And we need to love mercy. Not just be merciful the odd time, but we need to have mercy and compassion that flows from us. And the thing about loving mercy and being merciful is I can do it really, really well. Short periods of time when I'm on a good day. Okay, I can be merciful and kind sometimes. And we're all the same, aren't we? We've run out. Our mercy and compassion runs out. We're nice to people. They treat us badly. We're nice to them again. They maybe treat us badly again. We're nice to them again. Then we give up because that was three chances that we didn't get. Um, but, you know, we, we, get, we always run out of mercy and compassion if we do that in our own strength. And so we have to, we have to love mercy. We have to love the things that God loves. And to do that, we need the very spirit of the living God within us because as Jesus said in his own mandate, the spirit of the living God is on me, for he has anointed me to preach good news. He has anointed you by the very same spirit to bring about his kingdom, rule, and reign on this earth. You see, we're not just here to tell people what they're doing wrong and look down our noses at their bad decisions, because actually that's what people think Christians do. We've got it right, you've got it wrong, we're going to tell you that you're wrong and we're right, and if you want to be right, you need to stop being wrong and be right with us. And we'll tell everybody else that they're wrong. The essence of, of religion. Um, it has to look like something. And Jesus says this uh, later on, um, I don't have this on the screen, but he says in, in Matthew 25, in the picture of the sheep and the goats, when, when people stand before God at the end in judgment, he says this, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? And it says then in verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus hides himself in the poor in the oppressed, and in the broken. He identifies himself so much with them that he says, whatever you did for the least of these, it's just like you're doing it for me. Do you want to do something for Jesus? Yes, I do want to do something for Jesus. Well, Jesus is with the poor and the oppressed and the broken. Jesus is all around the world right now in broken places. Do we still want to do something for Jesus? He's with the people that smell bad and that stink of alcohol and swear at us. Let me tell you a little secret. I love it in church 
when church smells bad. Because when I can smell people who haven't maybe washed and who maybe smell of alcohol or whatever else, I think we must be doing something right. Because if you all smell nice, then that tells me that we're not looking after the poor and the oppressed. Then that's true, isn't it? If you want, really want to identify with the poor and the oppressed, you've got, you've got to deal with the smell that comes with that. It's not too uncomfortable, but that's the truth. So justice for us as, as people needs to start with stewardship. Welcome, Lee. Okay, justice starts with stewardship. Um, let's widen our conversation on justice. And what we need to realize is that this all comes back to Genesis. It all comes back to the original creation mandate. Hopefully I have this on the screen yesterday. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he made, and he saw that it was very good. Very good. Well done, God. Very good. You know, good is one of those words my wife gives me a hard time about, don't you? Like, she asks me about something, I'm like, yeah, that's good. Stop saying that word. Use other words. But very good. God says it's very good. He then gives, so the creator of the universe gives his very good to humanity and says, could you look after that for me? Could you look after that? Could you be good stewards of that? Could you look after each other and all creation? And in fact, I'll just give you a bit of a, a summary of all the animals and birds and stuff that I made. That, that, that's part of your looking after. There you go, look after it. So imagine I said to my kids, look, I'm going to have to go away for a year. Um, I've got some things to do. Can you look after the house for me? And a year later, I pull into my, the, my street, and I look down the street, and I see my house, and I think, they haven't cut the grass. There'll be a glass in our windows. Why is there no roof in my house? And my kids, like, like, you know, get to the door, and they're like, yay, Daddy, we're so glad to see you. And I'm like, I'm glad to see you too. What happened to the house? Like, but if, I've never worried about the house, Dad. We're still here. Can you get us a new house now? And, and kind of like, that's, that's the way Christians very often view the world. It's like we've been given stewardship of the world. We know Jesus is coming back at some stage. And we're kind of going, I hope when Jesus comes back, he's going to sort the mess out that we've made. And what if Jesus comes back and goes, right, guys, how have you got on with stewarding the planet? How have you got on with looking after the poor and the oppressed? How's the environment going Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad you came back. Can you take us up to heaven now so we can play harps and float on clouds? Because this is a real mess down here. And Jesus is like, no. I've come to renew everything. And we've seemed to have got a bigger job than what I first uh, worked out because you've made a mess of it. And so when we think about justice and compassion, we've got to think about it in the context of stewardship. We are responsible for looking after God's earth and everything in it and each other in that because God has given us everything we need. 
and he's given us enough for everyone. And therefore, everything should be okay, shouldn't it? But it's not. And I could talk about all the different subjects and topics around this endlessly, uh, and, I, and, all, and I have lots of opinions on it. But what I want to do is just challenge us to think about when we have the heart of Jesus, what starts to change in our lives? And if we're called to be stewards, how do we take personal responsibility for our actions and how our actions affect other people and the wonderful, beautiful environment that God has placed us in? This has to be about personal responsibility for justice and compassion. It's a stewardship issue. Let me give you just an example, and this is just an example, but let's say Christmas, right? If you're offended by the word at the top of the screen, deal with it. Um, <laughs> Crap-free Christmas gift-buying guide. Buy less, buy second-hand, make some stuff, buy local and buy ethical. Okay, that's just one small example of people going, you know, maybe there's a different way to... To, to do Christmas. Maybe we don't need to always continually have new stuff for the sake of having new stuff. Maybe we could do Christmas a little bit differently. Maybe we don't need to be the, the ultimate consumers who just like, yes, thank you, that's great, I'll have that. There's another one, throw it away. You know, people at, um, at this time of the year sell all the stuff that they got last year uh, to, to, so they've got room for new stuff this year. I like to buy that stuff, by the way, the second-hand stuff. It's, more, it's better for the environment. Um, and so we need to think about this. We really do. How much stuff do we use? What rubbish do we create? Can we do things in a different way? Our systems are broken. We just throw money at things and problems and, and pain and, and, and um, unhappiness, thinking that when we get some more stuff, it's going to make a difference. And, you know, what we do with stuff and with things does ha make a difference. And I have a wee video um, that we're going to show in a minute. And it's, again, it's one example of how when we take things and consume things, it has an effect on other people around the world and helps us to think about how we can become better consumers. It's four-ish minutes long. Plastics are treated and it keeps on being a problem at every stage along the way. Why is it that we're seeing so much more plastics entering the environment? This is the story of plastics. We got into recycling because we thought it was the right thing to do. Of course, it is a disposal service. Uh, you know, at its core, it's taking stuff that people don't want anymore and, and trying to do something better than landfill with it. In 2013, under significant pressure from our city council, um, we began accepting um, non-bottle mixed rigid plastic. So all the plastic containers, berry containers, keg cups, plastic cold cups, you know, from Starbucks. Procter & Gamble wants us all to believe that all their packaged goods are in, you know, totally environmentally sound 
packaging. You know, they want us all using single-use packaged products so that we're just, you know, on the supply chain. It's totally unfair to the cities and the recyclers on the back end because then everyone says, oh, it's recyclable, it's recycle-ready, you should collect it. Well, then what? The United States was shipping over 50% of its plastics and its papers to China. The situation was very similar in Europe. We were just shipping it all to China. China will deal with it. And we built up these big recycling programs, and everything was about recycle. Recycle, recycle, recycle is, is the solution to everything, because we had China there. So China's just said, you know what? We're sick of being a dumping ground, and we don't want this stuff introduced into our country. I see the China thing as a, as a reckoning because it's all been this false market where we've just been shipping stuff to China. This is, in my 25-year career, this is the biggest recycling crisis globally that we have ever seen. At the same time, the tons are going up and up and up. The price is going down and down and down and down to the point where now it's costing us 50 bucks a ton to get rid of. If you think we're just gonna take it from China and ship it to Thailand or Indonesia or Vietnam, where is it going to go? When the government shut down the recycling center, most people shift to like more remote or hidden villages or other countries. From from US. This uh, Nestle from UK. Yeah, it's from Australia. It's come from Toronto. Toronto. Dunking Donut. It's from Oregon. From yeah, New Zealand. Tivana. Ya awalnya kita memang uh, merasa plastik ini sesuatu yang uh, bagus ya. Jadi ini praktis begitu. Kemudian orang, tapi kemudian terakhir kita bisa melihat bagaimana plastik itu berubah menjadi sebuah bencana bagi kita. Karena it's terrible, isn't it? So that's just one thing. That's just one thing. Okay, our oceans are full of plastic. We're burning fossil fuels. We're cutting down trees, and and society is getting anxious about it. And so we have um, people like Greta Thunberg, this 16-year-old girl, who who basically says, you know, hey, people who have grown up, you're destroying the world, and I'm going to have to live in that. And then. You know, then people have built sort of certain media campaigns around her, and then other people are criticizing her, and we're all getting anxious and stressed and angry because the world is a mess, and this group's blaming this group, and what are we going to do? We do have to take personal responsibility, but what if, what if Christians could actually be a voice of reason, a voice of peace, and a voice of hope 
in the midst of these crises. Because you know, what, what we can do is, is put ourselves in one place, one part of that argument or the other. You know, I think the answer is everybody needs to become vegans because I'm a vegan and I think veganism is the best thing ever. So let's all become vegans. And then we'll go, well, there, what about all those massive kind of undercover hydroponic farms where people are working in ridiculous temperatures and covering hundreds of miles of, of uh, agricultural land to make all the food for the vegans. And so people go off and go crazy and annoyed about that. And this anxiety that fills our society where there's one problem and there's a solution and it's this, these people's problem. And, it's, and actually, what I think we need to do as Christians is to be, um, as Eben Freeman talked about, and we've mentioned it quite a number of times, is to be the non-anxious presence in the midst of this, that actually when we come with the heart of Jesus and, and we take personal responsibility, but as Christians we need to start by taking personal responsibility for our actions. What do bottled water companies make? Right, because we probably know the answer now. They don't make water, they make plastic bottles, okay? And they fill the water from the tap and sell a plastic bottle to you with water in it. So this is a plastic bottle from our house. So what we just started doing, um, just to be practical, is that um, we just actually, when we finish with them, just come up with this brainwave one day. I thought, what if I actually put more water from our tap into the bottle, <laughs> close the lid again, put it in the fridge and take it out and drink it? Oh my goodness. I don't need to buy any more bottles. And in fact, if you buy better quality ones, they last for ages. Do you know what? Anybody have these? No, nobody has those. So it, one company, just one company in America, sells 24 million of these a day. Right? You put them in your little coffee machine, and then you, you know, the problem is it lands in somebody's garden. Somebody has to hook through it and, and deal with it and try and work out how to process it. And, and so then I just bought these. This is exactly the same thing, except it has a lid. Revelation. You could put your own coffee in that and close it and put it in the machine. Wow. No more wasted plastic. Drinking my coffee today in a metal cup that can be washed. We started to use these in the house as well, because you know when you're rushing around so much that you, you made a cup of tea, but by the time you get to it, it's cold. <laughs> we use travel mugs at home. It's quite sad, really, isn't it? But what if we started to make better decisions as Christians? And what if we did it not because it's the right thing to do for the environment per se, but because we're stewards of the earth in the first place? What if we actually took our creation mandate and took that back and said, yeah, do you know what? We as Christians have to find out a better way to live in this world and to realize that our actions have consequences for the environment, but for other people as well. And if we're stewards of, of the entire earth, then this has to be an issue that, is, that we have to take personal responsibility for. And we have to think intergenerationally about it as well. So justice requires, um, I'm running out of time, uh, for us to think inter intergenerationally. I'm going to go quick on this, but William Wilberforce, he campaigned against slavery. Right? It took him his entire life to campaign against slavery and to get slavery made illegal, and he died three days after finding out that the law would come to pass. 
He spent his entire life for something that he would never see the good of. But for generations and generations, from uh, the, uh, the late 1700s, I've seen that the abolition of slavery has set countless millions of people free. And actually, in our modern day, um, our modern anti-slavery laws, and the UK was for the first Western country to have modern anti-slavery laws, came from the campaigning of a woman called Philippa Stride. And Philippa Stride worked in London with people who had been trafficked and helped them, and people that had been abused. And she then started to campaign and to lobby Westminster, and she became an advisor to David Cameron. And because of her work, David Cameron then was able to put forward the first modern anti-slavery laws in uh, a Western society. And that was because she was a Christian and she believed in justice and she believed in compassion and she made a difference. She's now called Lady Philippa Stride. And um, I just happened to like sit down at a table one time in, in England at, at a meal and I was just sitting beside me. It was pretty cool. Um, and so we want to make a difference, but we need to respond differently and we need to think about the next generation and the generation after that because that is a biblical way of doing things. The Bible shows us that we think generation to generation about God's goodness and we think about the next generation coming up and we invest in the next generation that it's not enough just for us to be comfortable and to have a nice life. And so we need to be renewed in our minds. We need the mind of Christ. There's no... No um, argument, really, that more so than, than probably any other time in history, we need the mind of Christ to think and to come up with solutions about the brokenness that's in our world. Um, and we need to, to respond to cri crisis with the mind of Christ. Um, we need to detach ourselves from the consumerism in order to be good stewards. That's probably one of the biggest things. Um, First time I did a, a talk on consumerism was probably 10, 15 years ago. Uh, my very first ever sermon series that I, that I wrote was called I Consume. And consumerism is so invasive within our culture, within our society, and within your mind that you don't even realize just how much it is. We need to break free from that way of thinking. We need to think with the mind of Christ. We need to think with a renewed mind. And we need to realize that the systems of the world are broken and creaking. The system of capitalism is broken, socialism, communism, all these systems, they're broken. And they're fundamentally broken because the corrupting factor in every single one of them is the same. It's broken humanity. It is the brokenness of people. The most common, uh, I love post-apocalyptic genre, okay, where the world comes to the en an end in some catastrophic way, whether it's zombies or illness or nuclear war. But one of the classic ways that they do this is that humanity build a computer system to look after the earth. And the computer system becomes self-aware and it looks at the earth and figures out, how am I going to look after the earth? Well, the biggest problem on the earth, the biggest parasitic um, thing that is on the earth is humanity and to save the earth, the computer system uh, might be called Skynet but might be called other things <laughs> destroys humanity in order to save the earth but you know what Jesus does Jesus co comes to restore humanity in order to save the earth 
That's what he came to do at the cross, is to restore humanity. And if we're going to live as a restored humanity within our society and within our culture, we've got to take justice and compassion seriously. We've got to campaign for uh, injustices that we see in the world, but we've got to stop being part of the system of injustice in the world. We've got to figure out a different way, and we've got to tell a different message and communicate a different story. We've got to learn to be a non-anxious presence in the world, that the actual presence of Jesus and the mind of Christ in us would start to make a difference about the way that we do things, how we consume products, how we treat other people, that we would um, seek to understand the consequences of our actions when we buy things, where we get them from, how we, how we go about life and how we live, how we interact with other people. It goes on and on and on and on, but it starts with seeing Jesus and realizing that when he stood up and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to stand up for the oppressed, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, that that also is our mandate. And it is an all-encompassing mandate. And, and so there are many different scare stories out there. There are many different things and arguments and counter-arguments about who's destroying the planet and what's destroying the planet. And you can switch off if you want from them, but I would just like to challenge you that you can't really switch off from them because from the very start of creation, God placed this world into our hands and said, be stewards, be stewards of this stuff. Look after it. Look after each other. And then sin came into the world and corrupted and destroyed and distorted all those things. But you know what? The kingdom of God is advancing. It's coming. And it's coming with people who have the mind of Christ. And we want to be part of that too. So I'm out of time. So let's, let's pray. God, I just thank you for, for your goodness. I thank you for the wonder of your creation. God, I thank you for your presence with us. And I pray that we would again understand the creation mandate, that we are called to be stewards of this good and wonderful earth, that we're called to care for the, the oppressed and the broken and the marginalized within our society. God, we need your, your renewing presence. We need your mind. We need to think creatively with the mind of Christ. God, we thank you that we are transformed by the renewing of, of our minds, by the work of your spirit, that we can live on this earth and understand our place and that we can play our part. And Jesus, I pray that your name would be lifted high, that your goodness would be, be declared that it would be seen in action as well as your people take justice and compassion seriously. Teach us, Jesus, how to be that non-anxious presence in the world, that we wouldn't be pulled one way or another based on, on people's opinions or perspective, God, but we would seek your will, seek to follow your ways, respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Um,